So today's gospel is the gospel of the day. It's not, there's uh, no particular reading for, for the Feast of St. Faustina. And yet, how perfect it is. If you look at the Our Father, we end the Our Father saying to God, forgive me my sins in the same way that I forgive others theirs. Forgive me my sins. So, Lord, be forgiving as I am forgiving. You're actually holding God to your standard, right? Forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. So, they're kind of, they're dangerous words, right? Because if, if I'm not forgiving, I'm saying, God, forgive me in the same way that I don't forgive others. If we, we're, in, every time we pray the Our Father, we're, we're saying to the Lord that, 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 that his standard of mercy should be my standard of mercy. It's, as I say, it's, uh, it's all of us, all of us like to have, all of us like to receive mercy. As in, um, all of us make mistakes, you know, and it may be something, you're writing up a report or an account or an email or something and you, you know, you put the wrong title in or the wrong date or the wrong information or you mix up the months, you mix up the dates, you mix up the money and, um, or, you know, you make a mistake. Uh, maybe even in the sports field, right? You've got an open goal and you trip, or it could be anything. You make a mistake. And it's absolutely, it's very consoling when those who see that mistake say, look, it's grand, you'll get it next time. Or when they say, no, don't worry about it, no big deal, no harm done. You know, especially if it's you know, your boss or your superior or someone you look up to and you make a mistake and they say, look, it's, don't worry about it, happens to everyone, happens to everyone. Uh, that's, that's, that's so consoling. On the other hand, if the rest of your team or the rest of your group or your boss or your, your, your um, colleagues at work, they see your mistake and they go, oh, right, got that wrong, did you? Right. You don't even have to say anything. You know, just that attitude of, of having your mistake kind of held against you, right? It's a rotten feeling because there's nothing you can do about it. The mistake is done. What do you want to do? You can't go back. You can't undo it. You just have to try and not do it again. But like that, that, that feeling of having, having a debt held against you, it's a rotten, it's, it's an awful feeling. And that's not how God sees us. Remember, like it, the enemy is the accuser who accuses us day and night before our God. The enemy is the accuser, not God. God is not the accuser, never. So when we're dealing with God, God God's, I, 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 have you ever seen a soccer mom? It's kind of a, it's kind of a, it's kind of a thing. This, uh, I don't know. These, uh, these moms who are very enthusiastic. They normally kind of they wear their their, their tracksuits and their trainers, and they normally have a, an SUV, and they unload the kids then for soccer training. And you have these moms uh, on the side of the pitch, and they go ballistic. They are really enthusiastic about encouraging their children and shouting at the ref. And you know, sometimes the moms have to get carried off the pitch because they're they're screaming, they're screaming at the ref, who's uh Reffing the under eight, <laughs> under <laughs> under eight football, not even a final. Okay, a football training, <laughs> getting carried off. So soccer moms, um, I kind of see God at times as a calm version of a soccer mom, uh, who's on the on the side the sideline, like and really egging on their child. You know, you can do it. You can do it. Keep going. Watch your left. Watch your right. On you go. I, I, see, I see God that way, as, as perpetual encouragement, you know. Um, I was even talking to, to a guy recently whose son does motocross, 
and my son is only, Jenny, I met the son, how old is he? About yeah, high, so I'm guessing that isn't too tall either, so I, 12, 13, I'd say, 13. Um, and so he was out doing motocross on sand. sand. Sand is a really rough terrain to drive on. If you accelerate too hard, you dig a hole. If you don't accelerate enough, front wheels bog down, you just fall. So it's a, it's a very hard terrain to ride on. So he, did, he went on a race and he, he fell. He fell. Every, every, he, was, he went to a certain place and every race he raced that day, he fell during the race. And the father said to him afterwards, he said, you did great. And he said, I didn't tell, I fell. I fell every single time. And he said, but you learned. You got better. And then when he came home, to, this race was taking place in England. When he came home to Ireland then, uh, any terrain was so much easier for him. He learned through his falls. So you and I, we're called to be apostles of divine mercy. St. Faustina was, was chosen in a very particular way to, to represent, as in when I say represent, to represent God's mercy. It's not like God, God's mercy was unknown before the devotion of divine mercy. You know, Jesus resting on the Lord's heart, uh, the, the crucifixion itself, these are this is God's mercy. The, the, all of the, the old covenants that the people broke and God remained faithful, these are all examples of God's mercy. God was always merciful. God didn't become merciful with Jesus or God didn't become merciful with St. Faustina. God was always merciful. But we forget these things. We forget them. So St. Faustina was chosen by God to represent to the world what divine mercy looks like, what mercy looks like, and our call to be merciful. So she was from a poor background. She was the third of ten children, born in 1905 in Poland. And she was a joyful girl, very helpful, serving at home, just a very pleasant company, it seems. And she did feel the call to religious life in her late teens, but wasn't wanted to be normal, kind of like all of us today, right? Wanted to be normal and do, do the things that all normal kids do. So she was out at a dance when she was 19 years of age with her, with her sister. She was dancing away and uh, during the dance she had a, a, such a, a vision. Everything stopped, everything disappeared except Jesus, Jesus scourged, right? And he was standing there and he said, how long have I to put up with you? How long will you keep putting me off? And seeing him in such a state and knowing that she was being called, she decided in that moment that that's it. I have to, I have to try. I have to do this. Okay. What's interesting, though, is that she, decides, she packs her bags the following day and goes to Warsaw to become a sister. But, like, how do we do that? I mean, you just turn up at a convent, knock on the door and say, hi, I'd like to be a sister. So most of them saw her clothes and said, ah, she's from a poor background. So, I mean, you can imagine... Um, that would be 19, that's 1905 plus 1924. Um, there, was, there was poverty there. And so there, there was a danger. This was also the case in Ireland where uh, if there were large families and there was a bit of poverty, it might have been a good idea for a few of them to become religious because at least then they have bed and board. And, you know, there can be all sorts of reasons to become religious that aren't, that aren't necessarily good. So the superiors would see this poor girl up from the country who says she wants to be a sister do you want to be a sister or do you want free meals? You know, I mean, you can, you can, you can, the discernment isn't always that easy. So <clears throat> Jesus calls her. She goes to Warsaw and she receives numerous rejections. 
So from the various comments who'd say, no thanks, we're, we're okay for vocations, we're full, we don't really believe that you're here for the right reasons. So she receives numerous rejections. So I, 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 I know it's only a tiny detail in the grand scheme of things, but I, I like that detail because she's trying to do God's will and yet everything isn't free-flowing and easy and without obstacles. She is going to be Saint Faustina. And she, turns, she knocks on the doors of various convents who say no. God, what are you doing? You're calling me to be a sister and yet I'm getting rejected. The Lord's plan is even in that. She's learning perseverance. She's learning trust. She eventually then uh, becomes, uh, where she's accepted into the congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. What a perfect, perfect uh, community for her. So she enters and shortly thereafter uh, begins to receive visions of the Lord. And the Lord is explaining to her how his heart is. Right? So it's just like trying to explain the depths of his heart. Now this is, this is, this is, this is very deep because we're trying to understand something so mystical and so divine and put it into human terms. Uh, it, it's very difficult to, 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 to encapsulate those kind of things. Uh, so there are even certain words that got introduced or reintroduced into the, into the English language because of divine mercy, like unfathomable. Right? Whoever, who says that on a daily basis? But it's all over divine mercy, the, 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 the diary of divine mercy, because it's unfathomable mercy, that this mercy that we cannot comprehend, incomprehensible mercy, because it's just way beyond any intellect, human or angelic, as St. Faustina writes. So, <clears throat> so the Lord is, is, is revealing to her uh, the mercy of his heart. Now, she reveals this then to her confessor, who thinks, that's wonderful, I think you might need to see uh, a psychiatrist just briefly. <laughs> so he sends her off for evaluation just to make sure she's not hallucinating. It can happen. It can happen. So she sees a psychiatrist and they see she's perfectly normal, perfectly healthy, just not making this up. And from that point then, uh, Father Sopochko then asks her to write a diary and to take note of all that's happening in her soul. And she does. And it's an absolute, it's a stunning account, a stunning account of, of, the Lord walking with her on a daily basis and, and the Lord revealing to her what his merciful heart looks like. So Divine Mercy, very briefly, um, I'm going to have to rush this, but uh, to, to summarize Divine Mercy very briefly, <clears throat> think of the word finch, right? F-I-N-C-H. Feast of Divine Mercy. Divine Mercy Sunday, Sunday after Easter Sunday. This is, is a day in which Jesus says that all of the torrents of my mercy are open for mankind. So, again, see, the Lord is trying to find as many ways as possible. He's not making this difficult. Trying to find as many ways as possible to communicate his mercy to us. So the Feast of Divine Mercy, F, I, the image of Divine Mercy. So the Lord reveals, says that this, this image <clears throat> is a font of mercy which you can draw from with a vessel of trust. So, again, it's not, it's not in, in the physical painting or in the print of it. It's going to, 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 to this image and believing, saying, praying, Jesus, I trust in you. So things are going to pot, as we'd say in Ireland. Things are going terribly, right, in your life. And you say, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. And we, we keep saying it, and maybe we have to keep saying it until we believe it, because maybe when you say it initially, you don't really believe it. I, I trust you. Oh, I want to trust you. At the moment, I, I, I don't. I don't. I'm struggling here, because I don't see the end. I don't see the solution. I don't know what the future holds here, but I trust in you. I trust in you. I, tr I want to have this childlike trust in you, <clears throat> in your goodness and in your providence. So that's F, 
feast, F-I image, and the novena of divine mercy begins on Good Friday. So we, we pray that until the feast of divine mercy. So in, in this novena, we're praying for all sorts of uh, groups. So for those who have rejected God's mercy, for those who promote God's mercy, for children, all, all sorts of, of, of various groups that we're praying for and bringing them to the Lord's mercy. See then, uh, if I end C, see the chaplet of divine mercy. So the chaplet of divine mercy, the, it, it's, it has a, really a divine eloquence in it. It's so simple. It's so priestly. Because you're saying, as a layperson, as a religious, you're saying, Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. That's like, that's like a priestly function. You're offering to God the Father the immolated body of Jesus. The body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Offered to you, offered to God for what? An atonement for my sins and the sins of the whole world. So I'm asking for forgiveness and for healing for my sins and for the sins of the whole world. So it's, it's, it, it, they're, they're beautiful words. It's, it's such a profound prayer. Then H, the hour of divine mercy. So at three o'clock every day, uh, the Lord promises particular graces of mercy to each one of us and for those for whom we pray. The chapter of divine mercy actually, incidentally, is particularly powerful at the bedside of those who are dying. Because in that moment where we're uniting their sufferings to the sufferings of Jesus, we're protecting them also from the, the attacks of the enemy, who always want to, especially in the last moments of our lives, cause us to despair, cause us to reject God. So the chapter of divine mercy is, is profound protection from that. St. Faustina describes how she was praying this at the bedside of a dying person. And she could see don't frighten anybody, but she could see the, the, the demons gathering around the dying person. And she began to pray the chaplet. And she saw the power of the chaplet in those moments, in vanquishing evil and in bringing peace to that soul. As always, though, when we think of saints and when we think of their lives and how she went on then to uh, actually die of, of, of TB, <coughs> at a young age, 33. We don't look at the lives of saints and say, well, that, that, was, that was great for them. I'm really glad she managed to be merciful. But we're called, as we said at the beginning, in, in the Our Father, we're called to be merciful. You and I are called to be merciful. And that's, what I, what I love about these kind of things is that this is a daily thing. We can do this on a daily basis. Because you live with people, or you work with people, or there are people in your family, or in your office, or in your school, or in your factory, or in your home, who you find difficult. Even a few days ago, we were talking about St. Teresa of Lisieux, and that difficult sister in her convent. And the sister said, said to her after uh, a period of, 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 of St. Teresa serving her, what is it you like about me so much? And she was an awful cantankerous thing. But St. Teresa was so merciful, so loving towards her, that this sister thought she was like her favorite. That's mercy. That's mercy. That the person who we find most difficult thinks that we actually, <laughs> that they're actually our favorite. Then you've nailed it. Then, like, they should, they, they, they should feel, they should feel that, that they, they, this person has a particular love for me. 
even though they may actually find you quite difficult. I mean, someone may find me difficult. I'm difficult. <laughs> it may happen. But we're called to be so merciful that nobody would know. That nobody would know that we find one person really charming and one person really difficult. We're called to be so merciful that, that nobody would know. St. Faustina writes, and I'll end with this. I want to be completely transformed into your mercy and to be your living reflection, O Lord. May the greatest of all divine attributes, that of your unfathomable mercy, pass through my heart and soul to my neighbor. Help me, O Lord, that my eyes may be merciful so that I may never suspect or judge from appearances, but look for what is beautiful in my neighbor's soul and come to their rescue. Help me, Lord, that my ears may be merciful so that I may give heed to my neighbor's needs and not be indifferent to their pains and moanings. Help me, O Lord, that my tongue may be merciful so that I should never speak negatively of my neighbor but have a word of comfort and forgiveness for all. Help me, O Lord, that my hands may be merciful and filled with good deeds so that I may do only good to my neighbours and take upon myself the more difficult and toilsome tasks. Help me that my feet may be merciful, so that I may hurry to assist my neighbour, overcoming my own fatigue and weariness. My true rest is in the service of my neighbour. Help me, O Lord, that my heart may be merciful, so that I myself may feel all the sufferings of my neighbour. I will refuse my heart to no one. I will be sincere even with those who, I know, will abuse my kindness. And I will lock myself up in the most merciful heart of Jesus. I will bear my own suffering in silence. May your mercy, O Lord, rest upon me. Amen.